Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigalski. And today, we have a round two with the cold calling machine, the king of calls, Mr. Ryan Reiser. Nick, why should people listen? If you think about making a cold call, there is a massive difference between somebody physically hearing what you say and actually listening to what you say. And so when you're making your calls, if you want your prospects to actually listen, you probably want to listen to this episode. Furthermore, Ryan has some tips so that you can actually call people that answer the phone as opposed to just listening to a bunch of voicemails day in and day out. So, yeah. And here's a hint. It's not three, two, one. It's five cold calls for three, two, one. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's moving up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them.
All right, Ryan, welcome back to the show. You know that we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways, so let's get your three. All right, tip number one, if you're going to cold call, why not just call people who answer the phone? Uh, bear with me for a second, right? So here's what I mean by that. A lot of people are out there creating sequences and cadences and trying to figure out what's the right approach to get somebody into a conversation. The data shows that if I call someone within five attempts, 80% of the people that are likely to pick up from that list will have picked up. Within 10, 95%, and within 15, 98. So my recommendation is Pareto your outbound approach. And within five attempts that they haven't picked up, now you can start to activate other channels to attempt to get those people into conversations. Beautiful. What's number two? So believe it or not, a company who staffs a person to transfer calls what I mean by that is if you call and there's an operator who transfers or a gatekeeper that'll pass you through is actually a better number when cold calling than let's say a mobile number. It eliminates the, you know, how'd you get my number? Why you call me? I don't take personal calls. And you're going to get about the same amount of connects in the same period of time. So your connect rate is about equal, less ridiculous objections. It's a better number to call. Very nice. Round us out, Ryan. What's number three? So cold calling is actually four times more efficient than cold email. So that's my tip. If you're going to do cold outbound, cold calling is 4x more efficient than cold email. I did this internally. My data shows that paying experts to do the job, let's say it's a 5K budget, 5K budget for these two campaigns, same list, same message, roughly same offer, those types of things over a period of time. The cost per positive outcome over the phone versus a cost for, let's say, interest reply on the email, 4x less the cost and about 10 times more outcomes, cold calling versus cold email. All right, Ryan. So I love this concept of just optimizing for the places that get you to conversations as quickly as possible. Let's go to this transfers piece that you talked about. A lot of times, I don't know what to expect when someone picks up the phone and they say, you've reached ActMeCo, how can I help you? So when you get a receptionist who answers with something like that, how do you open or how do you handle that conversation such that you can optimize for getting transferred? Is Armand running around there today? You're almost assuming that there's some familiarity. Like I know Armand, he, he must be around there today, right? And whether you're an operator who's truly just going to be like, Armand who? Oh, Armand Farouk. And then they'll just, yeah, no problem. They'll transfer you right away. So you don't even need to worry about the pitch, et cetera. Or if it's a true gatekeeper, which is like, do you know him? Is he expecting your call, et cetera? It's like, uh, no, I was just reaching out. Is he running around there today? Or uh, I don't know. Is it possible that you might be able to just transfer me over to his voicemail if he's not? Do you start a more casual, I kind of know Armand conversation versus what other reps tend to do is it's so much more formal. So I learned that trick from the Sandler guys. That's a little tip they do. You know, use the person, person's name. Hey, is Nick running around there? Is Armand running around there? Tends to get someone to transfer. If it's an operator whose job it is to transfer, they're probably just gonna be like, sorry, Armon who? And you just give it to them and they'll transfer it. No pitch necessary. And then if it's a true gatekeeper, it feels like it's a little bit more casual. Like I kind of already set the stage that I might know you and it puts the guard down a little bit more for a greater chance of a transfer. Well, if I was calling Nick at Acmeco and I was good friends with Nick, I wouldn't say, hello, this is Armon from 30 Minutes to President's Club. I would just be like, yo, get me over to Nick. 
And so that is both the tone. And if their name is Jonathan, I will explicitly be like, hey, get me over to John or get me over to Johnny or something like that. So it's almost like a brush off. Like, I know you're going to get me through to that person. Just get me there. I don't need to give you all the details. Now, that's in the best case scenario where you have someone whose job is literally to direct you over. What happens when they say, no, 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 no. Who, who is this and where are you calling from? What is the purpose of your call? Yeah. So, and that's why it's really important to understand the tip as well, right? So organizations who staff a professional whose job is literally just to get you over to Nick, those are going to be the best numbers possible. Why is that? Well, they literally pay people to make sure conversations are happening via the phone. They didn't automate it through a teller. And the data shows that if they have that person versus like an IVR, where you have to go through a dial tree, you're actually two times more likely to reach that person. Okay. So that first example is exactly that. Hey, they're going to transfer, you're going to transfer. Now, when you come across someone who's like, who is this? What's the purpose, et cetera. That's the difference between what I call like an operator, literally someone who's going to transfer calls and a gatekeeper. Gatekeeper more like, what's this about? In our side of things, the way that we run our process and how I have the data, simply just say, wow, it sounds like he's pretty busy. Is there any possibility you can transfer me to a voicemail? Right? If they get to like, well, what, why, what's the purpose, et cetera, I tend to just back out of those calls and say, that's not a problem, I'll call back. I don't try to navigate through that in, that individual conversation. Chances are, if they're not gonna just transfer you like an operator, then trying to get through them via a cold call, the chances of that happening are very, very low, and we don't spend time trying to navigate that way. So a gatekeeper that does not just transfer right away, for us, we call that no path in our process. And those numbers tend to have a very, very low dial to connect rate. So I don't really have some phraseology that's going to Jedi mind track past a gatekeeper. Basically, I do the same assumption of like, well, he's expecting the call. And if not, hey, that's not a problem. Can you get me through the voicemail? Sounds like he's busy. Can you get me through to a voicemail? And if they're not willing to transfer, navigating this gatekeeper has a very low success rate from the data that we have. It is an extremely frustrating process emotionally. And what ends up happening is even if you're an expert at getting through the gatekeeper and getting to Armand, your success rate is going to be like 15% at most. And really what you're doing, you talked about Pareto's principle earlier, Ryan, the 80-20 rule. Like instead of fighting with that person and frustrating yourself and spending all that time arguing or, or trying to get through no problem, hang up, and then just call the next person. And you can probably make two or three other calls in the time that you would have spent arguing with the gatekeeper in this scenario. What are you doing in that voicemail? What's your strategy with voicemails? Actually, we don't leave a voicemail. The only reason why you ask for a transfer is to see if they're likely to pick up. I want to do what I'm calling is figure out when I call this particular number, can I get to them, they're a picker-upper, or can I get to a voicemail? And then within the voicemail, do they confirm their name? Can I see if it's Ryan Reisert? Hey, this is Ryan Reisert. I call that validated versus I can't confirm it. I got to some sort of generic voicemail, not validated. Now, if I can't get to them or their voicemail, I should never call that number again. The chances of getting to them are very, very, very low. To your point, Nick, I would go and call someone else. So as I'm going through this process, I am trying to track the likelihood of getting to them and or their voicemail helps me understand which numbers I should call back the next time in order to maximize my chances of a connect. And so why this is all important is when you're calling, going back to the Pareto that I mentioned in the beginning, 
when I'm calling up to five times for the first time, if I start to leave voicemails, if I start to leave a pattern that I might be someone I, I want to ignore, then you're increasing the chances of that person saying, oh, that's somebody I don't want to pick up. And so you, you actually reduce your likelihood of that person picking up when they would have otherwise. So within the first five attempts, getting back to your initial question, I don't leave a voicemail. I just want to know, does it get to their voicemail? And in their voicemail, are they valid or not valid? If we're not leaving a breadcrumb trail, what we're trying to do is get that conversation. And if you're not, if you didn't answer, I waste zero time. I don't want to spend time talking to the gatekeeper. I don't want to spend time leaving voicemails. I want to get to my next dial to increase my chances of having the next best conversation. Ryan, I'm curious, have you tested doing five dials, no voicemail versus five dials with voicemails to see if with voicemails, the connect rate actually goes down? Yeah, I did. So I used to say otherwise, and maybe even in our last show, I would have said, go out and like a spider monkey, right? Do the multi-channel, run the combo. I think that's true for validated records and not validated records, which means you've tried them five times, you've gotten to a voicemail and they haven't picked up yet. But it's not true for phone rate leads. I was running a campaign for phone burner doing outbound against their uh, reheats, really good leads, right? People who had explored their data in the past, but didn't make a decision. So I was calling them and I was calling, leaving a voicemail, sending an email. And in that particular campaign, which may or may not surprise you, the leaving the voicemail and the email took what would have been a 20 to 30% connect rate on a phone ready lead, someone who's picked up before, and it dropped it to zero. Why? Well, I just told them, hey, it's Ryan from Phoneburner and they don't want to have the conversation with me. They, they ghosted them in the first place. They want to ghost me again. Went to zero. Now, when I stopped doing that again, that exact same list, new number, the connect rate went right back up to the 20, 30%. And I can literally show you these lead stream reports on that. That may or may not be beneficial to you as a seller. You take that with a grain of salt, however you want. You could say, well, they don't want to talk to me anyway, so I don't waste the time. Or you could say, well, they probably don't understand the reason why I was calling. They thought we did this, we do this now. And I wanted to clarify that, right? And that's the problem I have with email too, right? When you send an email and someone just like, I'm not interested, well, what are you not interested in? Like the message I sent you right now, or you know, there's not enough context in that conversation for me to give up on I'm trying to have the conversation. So I do have the data. It was a small subset, but when I started doing that, I completely eliminated leaving voicemails, sending emails within those first attempts because it showed that it decreased my chances of getting that individual on the phone when it would have picked up otherwise. So Ryan, what you are doing is you're optimizing your time for what is going to get you to a conversation as quickly as humanly possible. In other words, you're optimizing for your time to validate a phone number. And so the ways that you've described you can do that is before sending a bunch of emails or leaving a bunch of voicemails, number one, dial them five times to make sure that you can get someone who can pick up. And then number two, try to find the folks who are operators or perhaps direct dials that will actually pick up or get you to that conversation. I'm thinking from the perspective of an SDR who's trying to operationalize this now, right? Do you literally have a sequence that is five dials in a row before sending emails and then after those first five dials, then it kicks into emails? Or how do I actually work this into my workflow now? The reality is like there are not many leads out there today where if I get your contact information off of LinkedIn enriched with, let's say, a Zoom info or a Cognizant or something like that, where I've got all the channels, I've got a phone number, maybe multiple phone numbers, I got an email and I got a LinkedIn. 
if I was to go after you on all three of those channels, there's probably only one that you're likely to respond to, right? And some of the other ones you might ignore. This idea of this combo doesn't really make sense for all people. And in fact, a lot of those numbers may not even reach you, right? Going back through my validation process, email may not even be deliverable and LinkedIn, they might not be active. So if you take the idea of these multi-channel, multi-step sequences and you map it against this idea of like the different types of personas, which is like someone could be phone validated, email validated, but not social validated or phone validated, not email validated and social validated, et cetera. You can do all the combos of that and you run it against that. There's just so much waste in that model. You're doing all these activities to people that will never actually see that engagement. A better way to do this is to run an initial validation sequence, which would just be phone first, where your first set of attempts is a combo across the three. Let's make a dial. Let's send an email. Let's check their LinkedIn profile. When I make a dial, I'm going to document the path and the outcome. The path gets me, is it direct? Does it go through a human? Do I have to document a tree? Press one, three, four, five pound. You actually put that in your system. And then outcome, valid, not valid, right? If it's not one of those, you don't call it again. So that's the phone validation, email, did it deliver? Social, are they active? If you check all those boxes, once you've gone through that, phone, you should still go up to five more times, assuming you have a phone validated record that's worth calling. It gets to their voicemail, worth calling. If not, then you can start to activate the other leads. And so in that very first attempt, you're documenting path and outcome. And then in two, three, four, five, you start to prioritize, again, direct, then operator, then IVR, and valid before not valid along the way. And you can tag those in your system, and you're going to start to see a dramatic increase in your, your actual connect rates. Um, because even just in one pass, you're going to cut out 20, 30% of the numbers you shouldn't be calling at all um, in a lot of cases. And then also you'll start to move the data into the other sequences when you don't have a path through the phone. So recap, what you are doing here is you are contacting the person through the channel that they have actually given you a signal on. So you are not calling somebody 37 times when they've never answered the phone because of the law of diminishing returns. It is not worth your time to continue to call that number. If you check their LinkedIn and there is zero LinkedIn presence whatsoever, they haven't posted or been active in any capacity in the past decade, probably not worth spending a ton of time trying to contact them on LinkedIn. If you've sent them a bunch of emails and you've gotten zero opens, okay, it's probably not worth investing more time into that email channel. What you are doing is you are figuring out where there is a response signal and you are reallocating your effort from the other channels into the channel where they are actually active. And so from an SDR standpoint, to add on to what Nick just said, if I have 100 dial tasks, if I've done this correctly, I can filter those 100 dial tasks first based on path. And I can filter out any gatekeepers that I've found on those first one or two dials, to your point, because gatekeepers are inferior. Or I can filter to anyone who's a direct or operator if I only want to call the people who are direct dials, right? But essentially what you're doing is you're skipping all of the crappy paths. And if I have dials that have also not been validated, right, I know that there's a law of diminishing return on calling non-validated phone numbers versus you can continue to call validated phone numbers. Nick, I think you have a question. My question is related to when somebody actually picks up the phone, Ryan. What do you say when you've gotten connected via that operator 
and Armand picks up the phone. The reality is there's lots of different ways to open a call. Essentially, if this is truly the first time I've gotten you on the phone, it's, you know, hey, this is Ryan Reisert. You and I have never spoken before. This is actually the first time I've reached you. Do you mind if I take a half a minute to share exactly why I called? So that's the main opener that we're using when we do our live show these days. But there's so many variations of this. There's been a time where I literally take Josh Braun has like 15 call openers. I put it on a spinning wheel and I go call for call for call. I spin it and I and I run it. The reality is an opener is not that important. It's about being consistent and confident with your opener. So if I'm a rep and I'm making calls today, it's not about what you say. It's about saying it consistently and with confidence, right? We joke, we have one where it's like, hey, Nick, the reason why we're calling you is you're the third step in my sequencer and it told me to call you today. And just shut up. Wait, what? You know, <laughs> yeah, my sequencer said I was supposed to call you. Do you have a minute? Sure. You know, so like we joke around this stuff all the time, but it's about being consistent and confidence. Now, the reason why you want to do that is you can start to measure if you're falling off in your opener or are you actually getting through to the purpose of or the intent of your call, right? The value pitch. And really what we want to try to optimize for when we're cold calling is a completion. And a completion is, it could be a yes, take a meeting, it could be a no with a real strong reason why. It could be a not now, it could be a not me. But you're getting through the reason they've heard what you had to say and you have a scheduled next interaction or not so that you can build your buckets and continue to build pipeline. And so I don't like to talk about a perfect opener it's about being consistent and confident more than anything else. So, so other than being inconsistent and meek, <laughs> what and knowing that there's not a perfect opener, yeah. can you tell me about some common places people screw up the first 12 seconds of the cold call? And the reason I'm saying 12 seconds is very intentional because it's more than just the opener. There might be some response that you get from them before you actually get into like the meat of the conversation. So knowing that there isn't a perfect way to do this, what are some common errors that you know people make in those first 12 seconds? Well, the inconsistency and meek are huge, right? So like we can't just blaze over that because that's probably 80 to 90% of the people who are failing. It's just they're trying something new every single time. They get kicked in the teeth one time, they go do something different as if when I called Armand, Nick's going to be the same as Armand and that's just not true, right? So you're two different people. And so I can't judge the success of what Armand did in my call with what Nick might do in my call unless I stay consistent and confident so that I know I got through it. But the reality is like where most people fail is, is they tend to go really, really fast and way too long. They're not breaking up the conversation to establish a two-way dialogue. And so what I mean by that is a lot of people will say something like this. Hey, Nick, this is Ryan Reisert. I'm calling with Phone Ready Leads. We haven't spoken before. I was hoping you had a couple minutes. You know, what we do at Phone Ready Leads is we help people who make calls have more conversations in less time. Would you like to learn more? Right? Like, like, like that was an example where they just freaking talk and 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 talk. Versus, hey, Nick, this is Ryan. Yeah, Ryan Reisert um, um, calling with, with Phone Ready Leads. Hey, you know, you and I haven't actually spoken before. This is actually the first time I've, I've reached you. Do you mind if I... Do you mind if I take a half a minute to explain why I'm calling in? And so I'm deliberately slowing down and I'm giving some elongated pauses to see if you might interrupt me or not. And if not, I continue. And so, and that's deliberate because if I slow down, I can gauge the personality, right? 
but in that 12 seconds, slow, deliberate, almost like half cadence. I'd want to make sure I enunciate certain words. I also want to almost stumble over myself, use some ums and ahs, make it sound a little bit more human, but with the right pace and tonality based on how you might engage with me, right? You, Nick, you get a little bit faster. I'd come and match your tone. Armand might be a little bit more deliberate and I'd slow down a little bit for him. So those are things that are really advanced, but in the very, very beginning, you want to really slow down, be very clear so people aren't saying who, what, what is this about? Why are you calling? If you're getting that, you're probably not being really clear. You want to establish this two-way dialogue so that you can get past hello and get into the actual purpose or intent of the conversation. What I think is really interesting about this is when you think about when you are making cold calls, you are prepared for that cold call. You know who you're calling, you know where they work, you have a hypothesis of like what you're going to say when you call them. That person is totally unprepared for this cold call because by definition, a cold call is coming out of the blue. And so what you're doing by slowing things down and almost pattern matching with them is you're giving them the two or three seconds that their brain needs to calibrate to, oh, this is an unscheduled conversation with a salesperson. If you don't do that, they're totally discombobulated and that's why you get that resistance. And so what you're doing is you're actually allowing them to catch up with this interruption and understand, oh, this is where we are right now. And I actually want to ask you about your messaging around like, once they've leaned into, all right, like, tell me what this is about. Because if I think about it, if I'm calling the CFO of a law firm, I have a product or service that helps that person with a specific thing. And that person has about 832 different jobs and responsibilities and things that they do as part of running this business. And chances are my product doesn't help with all 832 of them. And so they might be working on expense reports, but I'm calling them about billing software, right? A totally different element of what they do. And one thing I've learned is I sort of have to help pull them from, hey, you're working on this other thing right now, but I'm calling you about a different type of problem. So I'm curious, like, with that in mind, let's say you're cold calling Armand. You've gotten past those first 12 seconds, and he's like, all right, man, you, you got half a minute. What's this about? What's your approach here? So if you read the art of cold calling, if you're a more of a novice caller, I, I really love Townsend Word Law's framework where you – once you get the permission, you literally say, hey, thank you for that. Mike, I'm, again, I'm calling from my company. Have you heard of us? And again, you're still just trying to establish pattern. The intent is not that they have. Obviously, they haven't. It's cold. And what's this about? And you're going to get them to say, no, I, I haven't. What's this about? Oh, that's not a problem. The only <laughs> reason why I was calling today was actually to set up some time to introduce myself and my company when I'm not calling you out of the blue. You know, How's your schedule look next, uh, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday around this time? You still haven't said anything about what you do. They're not thinking about you still anyway, but their brain starts to go, well, I'm, what, what are you talking about? Like, what, what is this about? Okay, so now you've actually really broken their pattern for them to listen. A lot of times we go through a provision-based opener and we say, thank you so much. To your point, Nick, I'm thinking about expense reports and you do billing automation and you're gonna go, thanks for your time. You know, we help CFOs who are super busy with billing automation. No, I'm, no thanks, I'm, in, I'm not interested. Versus what I just did for you is like, have my company, have you heard of us? No, like get to the point. Oh, I'm sorry. Honestly, the only reason was I was called to set up some time to talk to you when, when it's convenient. I'm, no, I have time now. Now all of a sudden they're like, okay, they've broken the pattern. What the heck does this person want? Now it's your shot on goal to, to reestablish yourself. And that works about 70, 80% of the time. 
other times you'll get people that tells you this is the worst call ever and I have recordings of that too and they'll, they'll kick you in the teeth. But 78% of the time it works, which is really, really strong for this concept of getting completions when normal people are probably only getting to about 30 to 40%. So you almost 2x your likelihood of them getting to a strong outcome using that pattern interrupt Townsend Wardlaw's article coin. I'd highly recommend it. Now, if you get into this phase of like you really want to set the tone, then Sandler has a pretty good uh, methodology as well where they basically list off, hey, I know you're probably pretty busy. Most of the CFOs I'm working with, they're working on these things, these things, and these things, right? But I'm stopping you right there. I'm just going to guess that none of that is ever a problem for you, right? So now you have an opportunity to not just lead with one, but maybe two or three things that again, based on the psychologist call, may or may not be directly related to what you do, but you're just trying to start the conversation around a topic that's related to you know, what they're thinking about right now, what's a priority to them right now. And that's a pretty strong framework if you get, a, you know, if you're constantly running into an issue where I want to talk about billing automation, but I'm thinking about, you know, payroll or whatever it might be. One thing that's really fascinating about this is one thing we talk a lot about when we talk about like discovery calls or even demos is in the beginning of those sales interactions, you're leading up front with what the next step would be. So when you're kicking off a demo, you're saying, hey, usually this goes one of two ways. You might hate the demo, you might like it and decide you want to learn more. If that's the case, typically what folks will do next is A, B, or C. And you're actually sort of doing that in this micro interaction where you are priming them up front that the outcome you are looking for from this call is to have a scheduled meeting with them. You're seeding it and you're giving them a chance to, again, calibrate to, because it probably takes 15 seconds for them to be like, all right, I'm actually focused on this call. So you're seeding, I am calling to set a meeting with you. That's the outcome we want from cold calling. You are seeding, I want to set a meeting with you. And then they say, okay. And they acknowledge that that's what you're looking for. Well, tell me what this is about. And boom, now you have gotten permission to tell them what this is about. It's really brilliant. You're getting a double permission, right? So most people think about a permission-based opener of like, hey, do you have time to talk? Sure, I'll give you 30 seconds. Well, 30 seconds is enough to actually set that stage. So it's like, perfect. The only reason I'm calling is to see if it makes sense for us to take some time to meet. How's your schedule? Like, wait, 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 hold on. Why? Why would I want to do that? Now you're getting them intrigued and you're getting that second level of permission. And and then there's lots of different ways you can address that. The you know jobs to be done framework, the Sandler problem statements. There's lots of ways you can get into that but you're basically breaking the pattern of what everyone else does, which is the cold calling today is the version of the LinkedIn pitch slap. Hey, we connected, you know, da 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 I'll take a meeting. Versus in this case, you're establishing a two-way dialogue and you're trying to get them to listen to the words that are coming to your mouth. And if you, if you actually ask a prospect who gets cold call often, how much of what they say no to they even understood most of it is just, I'm busy. I'm just getting them off the phone. They, they're not saying no to you or your product, your service or anything. They haven't even heard what it is that you do. They just want to get the meek and the weak salespeople off the line so they can get back to their busy lives, right? It goes right back to being consistent, confident, and then measuring it. And that's really key. Measuring where you're dropping off and your, your, your initial cold call is like a funnel, right? Uh, just like a marketing funnel. Are they even aware? Were you able to gather some information? Are you in this consideration phase or can you drive them into this conversion, which in this case would be the meeting? What most people do is they try to jump from, you don't even know who I am straight to conversion and they miss out on that other part of the journey. 
Ryan, we are running out of time here. The clock is ticking, ticking, ticking. So we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of great things salespeople should be doing. I got to ask you now about a shouldn't. And so the last question is this. What is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to ditch because it's hurting them more than it helps them? I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing today with sellers is this idea that they can actually sell to anybody, right? Like today, especially they spend so much time with lists and data and tent data and I have all this information. And now that I have you on the phone, you must be my best customer ever. When the reality is there's only about 3% of anyone you're talking to today that are buying right now. And so if you started to qualify out more, you would actually start winning more over time because similar to the conversation we're having on trying to get conversations in the first place, we're spending an exorbitant amount of time trying to get these big fat pipelines that are wide and kind of spin through when they should be more like a nail, really wide on the top and then just blaze through. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Ryan Reisert include, number one, use the 80-20 principle on your dials. In other words, do five dials and most of the people who are going to pick up should have picked up by then. Number two, one way to prioritize those dials is by channel. One underrated channel are operators who will transfer you directly to your DM because those companies are literally optimizing you connecting with your ultimate prospect. Number three, document your path as you dial those people in two ways. Number one, you should be documenting the path, direct, operator, IVR, etc. And then number two, you should be documenting the outcome if it was an invalid or if it was a valid path. And again, as you dial, you should not be dialing invalid channels or bad channels like the gatekeepers, and you should not be dialing people who don't pick up. And then lastly, Number four is preceding the fact that you're going to ask for the meeting when you actually pick up the phone. Again, the opener doesn't really matter. 
a ton. What matters is your confidence. What matters is you sound casual. And what you're doing is you're trying to reduce, in Nick's words, the reactance of the cold call by preferencing that the reason that you're calling is to see if it makes sense to me. Alrighty, Nick, how could people help us out here? One of the things we talked about on this episode is it's probably not worth sending a bunch of LinkedIn messages to somebody that has not been active on LinkedIn in the past decade. We have good news. Armand and I are active on LinkedIn. So if you want to send us messages about your moderate enjoyment of this podcast, it's the one thing that keeps me going, the messages from the people. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.